The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Go to Health. This is Jonathan Marks, and we have another great show today. I'm really happy to be talking about an important topic, which is getting a lot of exposure And it's why we need to talk about health equity and implicit bias now. COVID exposed and exacerbated the need for meaningful solutions to many of healthcare's deep-seated challenges. At the top of the list, how do we address the increasing disparities in health outcomes between different populations of people created by implicit bias and or the environmental conditions where people are born, live, and spend their lives, which affect quality of life, health risks, and outcomes. The time is now to put a spotlight on this issue and the immediate need to increase health equity for all. In this show, Tegria's Managing Director of Clinical Solutions, Teresa Demeter, will provide a lively discussion in simple and approachable language on ways we can bridge the divide and why perhaps surprisingly, treating everyone the same is not the goal, nor is it even the right thing to do. The right thing is to appreciate each other for our differences and meet each person where they are to better ensure that each has what they need to thrive and survive. Teresa Demeter is an entrepreneurial executive administrator with 30 years of healthcare performance and operational experience In her role as managing director at Tegria, she brings her passion for conceptualizing and implementing innovative solutions that drive quality and performance improvement to optimize patient outcomes. Teresa has developed Tegria's offering that helps healthcare organizations prioritize and operationalize their health equity strategy and mitigate the harmful effects of implicit bias. Prior to joining Tegria, Teresa drove the formation and expansion of in situ, a national leader in clinical process improvement, consulting powered by macro simulation. And I want to hear what that's about. She also served as the director of women and infants outpatient services at Swedish Health Services in Seattle. Teresa earned a master's degree in healthcare administration from the University of Washington and is a certified childbirth and parenting educator and doula. So welcome to the show, Teresa. How are you today? Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and I'm doing great. Good. Wonderful. So first tell us what's macro simulation before we get started on any of what we want to talk about today. What is macro simulation? So macro simulation is a term that we coined And what it really means, and it's actually related to the name of the company that I helped to form out of Swedish called Insightu. And in clinical terms, Insightu means on-site. It's often used in cancer care, and it it means on-site. And so my team are all clinicians. They're physicians and nurses working in all kinds of uh, different specialties. And we use what we call the superpower of macro simulation to help healthcare teams 
do their best work. And in a macro simulation, we come on site, we've done a lot of pre-work ahead of time with assessments and goal setting and looking at benchmarks and outcome metrics. And then we come on site and we put clinically realistic teams through a simulation of an actual patient care event. Mm. It might be caring for a septic patient, a woman in labor, pediatric respiratory problem, whatever the patient event is, we put teams through these very realistic clinical events on site where they work, where they care for patients using their tools, their supplies, their equipment, their mm -hmm. language. Um, and we have them participate in the simulation and then we debrief it with them and we ask them what went well, what could we do better? What do you need more of? What's missing? What are the gaps? And we start to collate all this information. And we do this iteratively until every person on that unit or every person that would care for the patient in this clinical event has participated. And then wow. we take all of that information from the most senior person to the newest person, to the physician, to the nurse, to the tech, and we make recommendations from there. Some things are wins that we're able to implement in the moment. And then mm -hmm. as we sim, we continue to sim with those, with those new wins already hardwired in place. Um, some of it takes a little bit more work after the simulation, but we're also not only looking at clinical skills, but we're looking at what are called non-technical skills. And that's their communication, mm -hmm. their power distance. How do I relate to the other people that I'm working with? the respect that I show when I'm speaking to you, all of those communication, teamwork, and leadership skills are also embedded. We review the policies, the protocols, everything that has to come together to take good care of a patient. And we all that process is called a macro simulation. Wow, that's quite impressive. You know, yeah. so I know in, in hospitals, or, you know, in complex health systems, there are so many different types of uh, professionals who work together, but usually they work together with like people, like the nurses work together, the doctors work together, the techs work together. But what you're really talking about is having these groups work together cross group, right? So that to make sure that when they're working as a team, they have the best work teamwork they can get. That's absolutely true. And even to this day, medical school is over here and nursing school is over here. And very rarely do the teams ever get together to really practice and develop their own cadence and their own teamwork. So that's one of the very core tenets of a macro simulation is that it's multidisciplinary. So really important for everybody to come together, have a shared mental model and understand how we're gonna care for this patient in the best way. Right, so let's get to our topic today. Thank you for explaining that macro simulation that really uh, helps me understand what that is. But let's talk about um, implicit bias. So can you give my listeners some examples of implicit bias in a healthcare setting? What are we talking about? Well, let me start with a little bit of a, a level setting on what we mean by implicit bias, because I think that it's easy for us to say, I don't hold any implicit bias. I, I, I don't have that. But in fact, we all do. Very human. It's the idea of implicit bias is uh, a way for our brain to process information at, at the speed that we're getting information. We don't, our brains don't have time to kind of understand everything that's coming at us in the moment. And so we use 
what we've learned over time. We call them stereotypes. Mm. And it's a way of unconsciously understanding and sorting information in a very rapid, successive way. But sometimes those stereotypes or those implicit unconscious biases that we have developed are uh, causing us to have behaviors or make decisions that can harm people. Implicit bias is very human. As I said, we all have implicit bias. Mm -hmm. But the key here in, in all of our interactions with people, but particularly I'll say within healthcare, is to recognize and understand that we all have implicit bias and then to learn disruptors such as a simple pause that allow us to lessen the impact of that bias Mm -hmm. from harming the people that we're interacting with. And mm -hmm. implicit bias can be very subtle. It might be um, as a patient, when you walk in at, uh, and you're greeted at registration, how you're greeted might be the subject of an implicit bias, mm -hmm. how long you're made to wait in the waiting room. Um, so these are very simple things that might not might get missed, that we don't necessarily realize that we are being impacted by implicit bias, but in fact that we are but it can be much more serious. It can lead to missed diagnoses. Mm -hmm. um, it can lead a nurse or someone in the hospital to not call a patient back with important information because they've been deemed a disruptive patient and people mm -hmm. don't wanna call them back. Um, or it just can very much affect the care, literally the specifics of the care that they receive um, when they're either at a primary care visit or something more important like a surgery. So, you know, what I get in what you're describing here, this is not finger pointing. It's not saying you're biased or you're racist, but it's more saying, look, let's recognize the implicit and what you described as implicit before. It's kind of, you know, human, it's natural. We're not all the same. And, you know, somehow we tend to treat people in certain ways based upon who we are or where we come from. But it's really to just recognize that bias and how we do treat uh, patients differently and to recognize it and to deal with it. It's not finger pointing is the sense that I get from you. Yeah, that's why I wanted to kind of talk about the, the definition to get started because it's not finger pointing. Yeah. What we do have to recognize, though, is our biases are informed in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And often our biases are formed from the movies and the TV we watch, the news media that we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And so they may not be an actual justified representation of the person, the individual, the population, the community that we're interacting with. And right. that's where the awareness comes in and then that pause to say, you know, I want to make sure that the decisions I make, um, the actions that I take aren't being impacted by that little voice in the back of my head that I'm treating this person mm -hmm. authentically and genuinely as the person they are in front of me. Yeah. Was there an aha moment that you experienced for witnessing uh, inequities in healthcare? Well, my, I'll tell you where it all began. My, I did have a big aha moment, you know, probably many of us throughout our professional careers have been invited into um, seminars or workshops to learn more about implicit bias um, and racism at work and how we can mitigate the effects of that. And I 
participated in many of those events. And I remember always being asked to turn and look to the person sitting next to me and talk to that person about, you know, my family and growing up and was my family prejudiced and what did my family think about that? And then we would share our answers with the group and with the facilitator. Mm -hmm. And in all the times that I did that, nobody ever said, oh, yep, I come from a racist family. My family was very prejudiced. Whether it was their actual truth or not, what everybody tended to say was, I don't see color. I only see people. My family treats everybody the same. And on the surface, that's like, great. You know, I, that's perfect. I, I really appreciate that, that you're not seeing color, that you're seeing people and you're appreciating everybody, um, you know, the same. Right. But we miss a really, this was my aha moment. We missed something very important there. And that's not that we're not all the same. And that's actually where the idea of health equity begins mm -hmm. is that because we're not all the same to really thrive, we need to appreciate and attend to the differences between us so that we don't miss important differences. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was my aha moment. The goal isn't to treat everybody the same or to give everybody the same thing, but it's to see you who you are for who you are and what do you need to have the potential for your best health opportunity and to thrive as an individual. Yeah, this is really, a, 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 you know, a, a new direction we're going in healthcare that I've noticed at a number of the conferences that I've been to, which is really personalized medicine. It really is not treating everybody the same, but it's really treating people for what they need to be, you know, for what kind of treatment they need, given who they are and their background and their disease and, you know, what um, tendencies they may have in, in their background. Can you say more about that, about personalized medicine? Well, I think you're exactly, again, that's the start of health equity because every patient is a human. And every human has a different set of social determinants of health. You referenced that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Social determinants of health are all of those things that make us who we are from our race and ethnicity, religion, our age, our gender, our income, our housing security, our food security, um, everything that makes us who we are. And um, based on that information, um, and based on the stereotypes and the implicit biases that people may have regarding your social determinants of health, it does impact how you receive your care, what you need that's different than what somebody else needs, mm -hmm. and how you're greeted when you come in the door. So personalized medicine, you can get very technical about personalized medicine that goes deep into cancer care and how, you know, how we're really clinically treating people. But if we step back from that, personalized medicine and health equity means that we see each individual for who they are. We understand what they need to thrive. And where healthcare is headed is that we provide what they need to thrive. So healthcare no longer um, only lives within the realm of the four walls of a hospital or your primary care clinic. Mm -hmm. Only 20% of your health comes from the care that you receive from your doctor. Wow. 80% of your health or all the rest of it comes from those social determinants of health. 
such as where you're living or your cultural background? And, and really all of us at some point will have a social determinant of health that affects an aspect of who we are and mm -hmm. how we receive care and our ability to access care. So all of those social determinants in one way or another also impact just the basic ability to access health. Mm -hmm. So whether it's transportation, getting to your doctor appointment or having the time in the middle of the day to try to schedule an appointment for you or your family member, but getting put on hold for 15 or 20 minutes when your break is only 10 minutes long, mm -hmm. that is a barrier to accessing health. Mm -hmm. So the idea again of going back to your idea of personalized medicine, health equity is to remove those barriers so that everybody can access the care that they need Right. whether it be within the hospital or within the community and outside of the hospital. Got it. Right. Okay. So we are talking with Teresa Demeter from Tegria. We're talking about health equity and implicit bias in healthcare. And we're going to take a short break here, but we will be back more to learn more about Teresa's background and how she got into this. And they're also to have you learn about how you can deal with implicit bias or lack of sensitivity when you experience that with your healthcare provider. So stay with us. This is Jonathan Marks with Go to Health, and we'll be right back after these messages. Check out the Voice America Variety Channel on Facebook. This is the place to share and read stories about and from our hosts and shows. And you can add your voice on today's hot topics. Like us and comment on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Voice America Variety. Listen for Go to Health Radio featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, so we're back. This is Jonathan Marks with Teresa Demeter from Tegria. And I wanted to find a little bit more about what motivated Teresa to get into her line of work and the experience she's had. So tell us a little bit about your history, Teresa, and how you got into where you are at Tegria. So <laughs> a long and winding road. Um, many years ago, when my kids were young, I, was, um, I took my own childbirth class 
and really um, thought it was an amazing experience to learn about labor and all the things that you could do to help make a really strong and, and empowering birth experience. And so I decided I wanted to help other people do that. And so mm -hmm. I became, I got certified. It's a two-year process. I got certified as a childbirth educator. And then I decided I wanted to take that one step further. I didn't have time or desire to go to medical school, but I became certified as a childbirth doula so that I could actually be there to help empower families during the birth process. And right. so I did that for many years. And um, this was kind of in some earlier days um, when I was working at Swedish, which is in Seattle, Washington, we were still forming our outpatient services at that time. And from this experience, um, being a childbirth educator at Swedish and becoming a doula at Swedish, we just started growing the program. And eventually I became the executive director for out, uh, women's and infants outpatient services. And we built what was called the Lytle Center for Pregnancy and Newborns, which, which was wraparound services for their labor and delivery, um, really making sure that all families, no matter their size or shape or wherever they come from, had access to the best birth process. Right. So that was kind of the start um, where I saw, you know, some people have really different types of experiences in labor than others. I, I can't fully say that I knew what I was seeing at that point. I just knew that I was seeing differences in how people were treated. Yeah. Um, and kind of along the way, I got interested in process improvement, um, which is kind of part of this, that people were being treated differently and how do we improve the processes so that we standardize care? That was very important. And that led me to the idea of the macro simulation. Mm -hmm. I, from there, joined um, the Swedish simulation program, which evolved into something that we called Insightu where our main goal at Insightu was to work directly with bedside caregivers um, to improve their processes, to standardize the care that they gave. Again, we this was quite a few years ago, 2010. At that point, we didn't have the words to say that we were trying to, um, to put more equity into the way that care was delivered, but it, mm -hmm. but that is actually what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then fast forward to about a year ago, when many, many, many hospitals, and, and maybe I'll even say this started two years ago, you know, COVID is and continues to be kind of a dark time where there has been lots of tragedy and lots of misinformation, but sometimes when clouds are the darkest, you know, bright shining lights occur. And yes. through through COVID, because it happened in such a very defined time period in a place where we were had so much access to data, we were very quickly able to see where health inequities were impacting people of color, people who had English as a second language, and and people who didn't trust their healthcare communities and how they were actually experiencing more harm from COVID. And that started this yes. excitement and energy around understanding where the problems are and then what are those solutions going to be that um, helped move us forward. And mm -hmm. so about a year ago, 
and this is true of all hospitals, but uh, Swedish was the one that happened to reach out. Mm-hmm. They noticed that in their labor and delivery department that some patients in labor were not being treated the same, maybe with less compassion, maybe with less patience, maybe with less empathy and understanding. Um, they just weren't being treated the same. Mm-hmm. And they were seeing this in their their press gainy surveys. So if you've ever been to the doctor and then in the mail, you receive a survey that you complete that talks about how was the care that you received. Mm-hmm. That's a type of survey, a patient survey that all hospitals participate in. And it tells us, you know, tells healthcare how they're doing. Right. So Swedish learned that, you know, they had some areas that they needed to attend to. And they came to us and said, do you think you could develop a training and a macro simulation that would help us address these implicit biases that are reaching our parent, our, our patients. We had never done anything like this before, but it seemed very reasonable because what, what simulation does is it affects decision-making and our attitudes and our behaviors in the clinical process. So we felt strongly that we would be able to make a difference in, in using simulation in, in implicit bias. Right. So we did, we went to labor and delivery and we did a lot of planning as we always do, a lot of planning, a lot of listening, a lot of assessments, uh, work with the team to create the out- outcome metrics. What is it that we really wanna change? Mm-hmm. What do we wanna do differently and better at the end of this program? We ran several days of our simulations. And again, the goal that comes out of a simulation is the debrief, it's the talk. It's where people feel really safe um, and empowered to say what's on their mind, what's working for them, what's not working for them, what do they need to be able to do things better. So we took all of that information um, and did a lot of training and learning and uh, empathy building, understanding building during that simulation, mm-hmm. during each of those simulations. And the feedback that we have heard since um, is that it has made a huge difference. Uh, nurses are supporting other nurses better. So uh, white nurses and black nurses are supporting each other better and mm-hmm. they are have learned the implicit bias disruptors so that when they're caring for a patient where they may have previously just gone through their care thinking that they were doing everything that they would normally do for every patient, they're pausing and thinking about who this patient is and what do they need um, to thrive and have the best care, and then using that pause to impact their decisions and their care, and things are improving. Oh, this is the first time that we've done this, but it's had a great, a great impact. Tell me too, because we're moving more and more into technology. How does technology bring bias into healthcare, and also how does it solve problems? Well, great questions. You know, there's a new term that's been coined recently called techwitty. And techwitty is the bringing together of everything that you just said. It's the, it's the intentional, I'm going to come back to this word intentional, but it's the intentional ideation, design, development, research, testing, training, and utilization of new technologies in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And when I say intentional, what that means is traditionally and over time, whether it was 
patient care processes or medical devices or technology, we often had a very homogenous group of people thinking about this from the research to the development to the testing, the training, a very homogenous group of people to do that. And what happens is you leave groups out. And this goes back to the idea that we have to appreciate each other's differences. We have to be aware of each other's differences or someone is going to get left out and that leaving out can cause harm. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that technology can do to help us identify and treat disease earlier and earlier, which makes for better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Technology, I think one of the biggest things that technology can do for us right now is improve access to care. Because in order to have your disease treated or your injury treated, you've got to be able to get the care. And that's right. probably one of the biggest barriers for um, all kinds of people, whether it's an age-related barrier or you live too far away and you don't have transportation or the hours of this particular provider don't work with your working hours or mm-hmm. you have don't have access to the internet. There's innumerable ways that we've created barriers um, to being able to access care. But in a collaborative effort, and I will say this is this, I'm already seeing so much collaboration in using technology, intentionally designing and using technology to take those barriers down to improve access to care. And that's one of the ways that Tegria can really help. We can go into any healthcare organization, help them look at what, what do they already have in place in terms of their community being able to access their services for care. We can do an assessment. We can talk to their community and partner with other community organizations to understand who is being left out, what are the barriers they identify, and then help that organization to create a new strategy, identify new technology, new platforms, implement those new platforms, test them, help the people who utilize them. So again, that we are increasing capacity and we're increasing access because what we don't want to do, and this is what we have to be for, uh, be very careful for um, with technology is that it's, it would be easy to create more problems than we solve Mm -hmm. with technology. Mm -hmm. And that's that word intentional. We have to be very intentional in how we're developing, who we're developing it for, who is giving us the feedback on it so that we really are taking those barriers down and improving access. Hospital at home is also something huge that that has been around for a long time, but COVID spurred it forward quickly. Mm -hmm. The idea of hospital at home is that for certain people, for certain conditions, um, you actually can receive care and recover more quickly by staying at home. So we have what's called remote patient monitoring Hmm. that you can wear or can be in your home with you that provides all of your medical information to your provider that they could see if you were there in the hospital, that you're in the comfort of your home with the people that you love and you're away from the noise and chaos and sometimes infections of a hospital. Right. And so that, and that's something that can often be done through a phone and the apps on your phone. So that, that made a huge stride forward 
um, for accessibility. That's incredible that you can actually be at home as if you're in the hospital and be getting the same or virtually the same kind of care because your data, you're, I guess you're wearing some kind of device and that device is sending information to the doctor so they can see what's going on. Absolutely. And that, you know, that's another place that Tegria is um, working. Uh, we work with what's called the Southeast Alaska uh, Rural Health Consortium mm -hmm. and helping them um, in the event of a, um, what we would call a mass casualty incident. And all that really means is that many people may be injured at the same time, an earthquake or even a car crash or something similar. Right. Um, and you can have more people than a particular clinic or hospital can care for in the moment. So what are those um, remote patient monitoring uh, telehealth systems that we can help those hospitals implement to be able to treat more people more quickly. But I think more importantly, it's keep, keeping people at home. If you live in a remote community and you would have to fly to get to a higher level of care, yep. you know, a half day's journey away, it means you're probably going to be recuperating by yourself without your family. It would be great expense for your family to come see you. And it will may take you longer to get better because you're away from home. Mm -hmm. So these are all the types of technologies that we are really excited to be able to promote and create strategies around and make sure that organizations are really optimizing those technologies. That's great. So we have just a couple minutes left in this segment. I wanted to get to one question I didn't ask before. It, um, it, now, this is for the patient. If, if you as a patient think you're on the receiving end of implicit bias with your healthcare provider, what are some reasonable actions you can take? You know, I think that that's such an important question because, again, any, that could be any one of us. Uh, you know, um, my mom is 87 years old, mm -hmm. and I, I see sometimes where implicit bias is impacting the care that she receives because as someone at 87, people make assumptions of about 87-year-old people. Right. So it's, it's, it's a good question because again, it could, it could impact all of us. And I think that the first thing you can do is we would call humanizing that interaction. So talk to your provider about who you are, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your family, maybe ask about their family, talk about, it's, it's called small talk, really. It's talk about the weather, your plans for the weekend, but the more that your provider can see you for who mm -hmm. you are and maybe understand what you need, um, the more that you're giving them that opportunity to pause, make sure that they're not introducing any type of bias and really getting to know you as a person. Yeah. So that would be kind of the first thing if you are someone that has experienced bias and this is a concern for you, you might take it one step further and bring a friend or a family member with you to an appointment. They can help to make sure that you're being objective, that you know, you're seeing things the way that they're really being presented and help you to understand if something was explained in a way that you didn't understand. They can help you to make sure that you're getting all the information that's being given to you. Right. Um, Every care provider would also say that if, if you feel uncomfortable with the care that you're receiving somewhere, it is okay to change providers. That just may mm. not be the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely fine to change care providers. Um, but then take that to the last step, I think. If you truly feel that you have been 
impacted by implicit bias from being greeted when you come into the clinic or how you received care, the type of care that you received, you do need to let the, the organization know about that. I would call the organization and ask to speak to their chief nursing officer, their chief medical officer, because they don't want that for you. I mean, honestly, every person goes into medicine wanting to do their best and to take the best care of patients. Um, and even when they don't hit that mark, they do want to know about it because that is their goal. So yeah. don't just walk away. Do let someone know and let them help you make that right. That's good. That's Those are four great points that you can take. And as you mentioned, it's kind of an escalating order yeah. based upon what you've experienced. But I really appreciate hearing that patients can take an active part in the quality of their care as well. So we're talking with Teresa Demeter from Tegria. We're at the end of this segment, but we're going to be talking with Teresa in the next segment about how you can work with Tegria and benefit from their solution. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Marks with GoToHealth Media. Check out the Voice America Variety Channel on Facebook. This is the place to share and read stories about and from our hosts and shows. And you can add your voice on today's hot topics. Like us and comment on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Voice America Variety. Listen for Go to Health Radio featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. This is Jonathan Marks with Go to Health, and we're talking today with Teresa Demeter from Tegria. And Tegria works with organizations to help them improve their processes and uh, serve patients in a more equitable and more effective mode. Teresa, during the break, we were talking about an example of a piece of technology where you found some basically bias, and it was the, I think, the pulse oximeter. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us that story? And first of all, what's a pulse oximeter and what's it used for? <laughs> a pulse oximeter is something probably many, many of the listeners have, have experienced this when you go into a doctor visit or Maybe we even had to go into the emergency room or have some surgery and they put a device on your finger. Oh yeah. And it, it just sits there on your finger, but what it's measuring is the oxygenation of your blood. Mm -hmm. And during COVID, uh, we talked a little bit about hospital at home and remote patient monitoring. 
During COVID, when someone uh, became sick with COVID, oftentimes they would be given a pulse oximeter to take home with them. Mm-hmm. And they would wear that on their finger and they would be told to watch for certain numbers on the display. And when the number reached a certain level, which would indicate the oxygenation of their blood, it, they were then really sick enough that they needed to come back into the emergency department for treatment and mm-hmm. possibly to be admitted into the hospital. Mm-hmm. The way a pulse oximeter works is that it, it goes on your finger and it's shining red and infrared light um, through your skin, which then is able to look at the color of your blood. And the color of your blood, whether it's bright red or kind of a dark purpley blue indicates how well oxygenated your blood is. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the way that a pulse oximeter was calibrated was against light colored or white skin. Mm. When a pulse oximeter is used on someone with darker skin, the reading can be significantly inaccurate. A 2020 study uh, by the University of Michigan Hospital found that it is wrong significantly more often, the darker your skin. Hmm. And so the way that that manifested during COVID is that people who were at home with dark skin using pulse oximeter for remote patient monitoring waited at home longer Hmm. and therefore were sicker before they actually got to the hospital. And then that same device was put on their finger again potentially exacerbating this problem of an incorrect reading, meaning that they were sicker than people realized. Right. And so the question is how, how did that impact their care? Did that, and how did that impact their outcomes when they were sicker arriving to the hospital? The mm-hmm. interesting thing about that is it's um, common. So many of us wear a device on our wrist that tells us all about our heart rate, and our exercise and our daily habits, it is using the same type of infrared device as a pulse oximeter. Uh So this is a way that technology um, was was designed and and made with an uh, implicit bias in the technology. So now there's things, we're much more aware of it. COVID just really drove this home. We're much more aware of it. And so we're kind of going backwards to correct and relook at devices, relook at technology. making sure that everyone has a seat at the table so that we can correct those biases. God, that's a really beautiful example. And I'm, I'm glad we, we went to that because it, it really is a striking example of how even technology can be yeah. biased. And what you're talking about there, it's really in the calibration and how we can really be biased in how we calibrate things. Yeah, good. I'm glad you brought that example. So I want to learn more in our last segment here, more about Tegria and what Tegrity does and who you help. Yeah, Tegria provides consulting and technology services to organizations of all size. Um, our purpose is to humanize healthcare. And in today's world, um, any company or organization with employees or any company or organization with customers is somehow in the business of healthcare, mm-hmm. especially with COVID. Um, we have worked with all kinds of different non-traditional organizations such as universities 
Hmm. When um, universities were trying to figure out how to bring staff and students safely back to campus, Tegria walked alongside them. We even did what we call our macro simulation to really understand the flow of people so that we can make sure to keep everybody as safe as possible during COVID. Mm -hmm. So we work with organizations like Disney and universities mm -hmm. and the YMCA and, and lots and lots of non-traditional healthcare organizations, but Tegria is healthcare. That is what we do. So we're not going outside of healthcare, but almost right. everybody is involved in healthcare now. So there's lots of things that we can do for lots of different types of organizations. Right. And when you say everybody's involved in healthcare, how is a university? Well, I guess the university has a health, a student health center, right? Yeah. Is that, well, where you, is that where you're working with or is there a broader application for your services? Yeah, much broader application because every organization has a responsibility and a commitment to do the best for their employees. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and I'm using COVID as a very specific example. As people are returning to offices, yeah. we still need to do the things to make sure that people stay healthy when they return to work. And that was what the university work was as it, as people and staff were returning to campus, yeah. we helped them understand what their policies should be around COVID, who came back, who was tested, who was vaccinated, which buildings were open, what was the capacity in any given building, what activities should happen, what activities shouldn't happen. So mm -hmm. our medical professionals help them look at their policies um, and create flows and um, policies to help keep people safe. Got it. Okay, so you've really worked with a broad array of organizations. I, it, when I when we originally spoke or I originally heard about Tegria, I thought it was mostly for application in hospitals. And I'm sure you do a lot of work with hospitals. Yeah, yeah. we. I mean, that is the core of our work. Um, mm -hmm. That is the core of where healthcare is delivered. Right. So. Um, small rural access hospitals, all the way up to very large systems. We're in the US, Canada, the UK. Hmm. Um, you know, we are a, a large, diverse, very skilled organization with really deep healthcare knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we have found lots of applications for what we do with lots of different organizations. I'm really glad you said that, that you're international because this show is heard in, I think I've counted up to 36 countries. So I'm really glad um, that you can yeah. provide services uh, more than just in the United States. Where are you based, Teresa? Well, that's a, a great question. Um, I, Tegria is a um, coming together of multiple other organizations that were all in the healthcare consulting space. I see. And a couple of years ago, we all came together and brought our strengths to form this new company called Tegria. I think the heart of Tegria is probably in Renton, Washington. Okay. Um, but we are a 100% remote organization with people. Um, our staff are in all 50 states of the US as well as in Canada and the UK. So we're, we're really... Um, very broadly dispersed across the world. Oh, that's great. That's really yeah. impressive. And how long have you been in business? Tegria formed January, January, I'm sorry, January 1st, 2021. Are you kidding that you're yeah. that new? So Tegria by name is new, but the companies that 
came together yeah. um, under the the banner of Tegria have been around for years and years and years. So this I is see. really long, deep healthcare consulting um, services coming together. We just joined together to bring the best of our e our electronic health um, medical record mm-hmm. optimization. We do revenue cycle management. We do data and analytics. We work directly with clinical people to help them solve their problems. Mm-hmm. We do leadership and strategy advising. So while Tegri itself is new, uh, the skills and the experience run deep. Got it. And do you employ, you talked about technology before, Are you? and you talked also about like hospital at home capabilities. Are you using a lot of you know, remote applications or mobile applications to work with patients? Yeah. So we don't design them ourselves, but we work with the manufacturers, the vendors who have worked hard to develop these tools. And then we bring these tools in as strategy makes sense um, to clients to help create um, and improve their access to care, the capacity for care, and how they care for patients. So we have, uh, what we're developing right now is our um, patient access growth and retention contact centers, which is very important to hospitals wanting to really jump ahead in their ability to improve uh, services and access for their patients and their providers. So it really gives um, best of service when you when you call a hospital that you know your call is going to be answered right away with people who know how to answer your questions. You won't have to wait on hold, which again, I think that's a, a main concern for people because when you only have a few minutes break, sure. uh, you don't want to spend that whole time on hold. So really improving access and, and bringing technologies that improve care. Got it. And tell us a little bit, and I, I don't think I've said the website yet, so let me say that now. It's tegria.com. That's T as in Tom, E-G-R-I-A, Tegria. T as in Tom, E-G-R-I-A, tegria.com. So when an organization contacts you, um, Teresa, what kind of process do you go through to begin working with them? Well, it depends on what they need. Um, and uh, we have so many different capabilities within Tegria, but I would say no matter the capability or, or maybe it's a bunch of different things that we can help with, we will always start with listening and an assessment first. I mean, I think that's key to humanizing healthcare and key to the services that we bring in and really key to meeting each organization where they are at. I think sometimes organizations worry about connecting with a consulting team, thinking that we're not big enough or we don't do X, Y, or Z, and they won't be able to relate to what we do. But I think Tegria, one of our big strengths is that we meet every organization where they're at, no matter their size or location, but we Mm -hmm. always start with listening Mm -hmm. um, and really understanding what are the concerns, what are the gaps, who are we working for and with, and who are we serving? Um, that's always the first part of that process. And then the rest of it will just depend on, is this a, um, an electronic medical record implementation or optimization, or do we really wanna look at data and analytics and understand what is the story that your data is telling you about your patients? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's, um, 
you know, other new technologies that we can help introduce um, to really support an organization to best care for patients or whatever, if they're in a non-traditional type of healthcare, um, support those people that they're responsible for, all the way to very kind of in the weeds work that we do with the macro simulation, which is to help an emergency department um, better care for a septic patient. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you really are, I'm really impressed. You really are walking the talk. You, you talked before about how medicine needs to be personalized and, and you're really doing that with your clients. You're really listening to who they are, what they need, meeting them to where they are, the way you're telling the healthcare organizations they need to deal with their patients. 100%. I, I don't think ever a day goes by where that's not at the center of our conversation mm -hmm. is listening to understand um, to our clients. And just as you said, the exact same way any healthcare organization and any provider meets their patient where they're at. It's listening to understand mm -hmm. and then, you know, devising the plan creating the outcome metrics from there to make sure that we address the right problems and we're getting the right results. And what we have really put at the center of our work is the idea of humanizing healthcare. And much like any provider or healthcare organization, when we keep that at the center of our focus, then the rest of it comes together more naturally. We're, we all know where the North Star is. Yes, 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 good. Yeah, so I, I always refer to it as, uh, you refer to it as rowing the boat in the same direction. I refer to it as pulling the rope in the same direction. But we're both talking about the same thing that you're really working as a team to be moving in the same direction toward a particular goal. Yeah, and I think that as these organizations came together, that was part of the vetting process to make sure that we were a set of complementary organizations, all with the same vision. Um, and promise to our clients. And that, so we started off from a really strong place and it's just gotten better from there. That's wonderful. So we've been talking with Tegri as Managing Director of Clinical Solutions, Teresa Demeter, and she has 30 years in health education. She started out in birth and family education, and now she's the Managing Director of a conglomeration of health consulting companies that are really helping to personalize healthcare. Teresa, thank you so much for being with us today. Again, if you want to visit Tegria and learn more about it. It's tegria.com. That's T-E-G-R-I-A, tegria.com. Teresa, thanks for being with us. Uh, you've done a wonderful job talking about health inequities and how to deal with that and also how to improve the processes in health organizations. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun to be here. Great, Teresa. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Jonathan Marks with GoToHealth Media. You can watch us at gotohealthmedia.com. You can listen to us on Voice America and eight other podcast networks. We'll be back with you next week with another show. Until then, as I always like to say, go to health. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web 
at go to healthmedia.com and elevate your life.